You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, welcome to Utabia. Stephen Chicken joined down the line by David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Not bad at all, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Getting straight in to talk about Huddersfield Town's 1-0 win over QPR. Uh, a few people were asking me for the lottery numbers on Saturday evening because Friday night I was lying in bed and I suddenly thought, you know what, Town haven't had a 1-0 for ages. I'd better look up when the last one was. I, I tweeted my findings. They hadn't had one since beating Derby back in October. They hadn't had an away 1-0 win since beating Charlton in December 2019. Matty Daly's late winner. Yeah, the very late goal, wasn't it? Yeah, so so good job I looked it up. Janino Bakuna comes up with the goal. What did you make to the game, Dave? Um, In a funny... I think we need to acknowledge the fact that in a funny sort of way, there's not an awful lot to talk about. I mean, we will go into the game, don't don't worry, that's not the end of the podcast. See you next week. <laughs> but it was just a sort of very functional performance. I thought the most interesting thing, I think, for me was to see Town actually play as the away side in an away game, which yeah. I've not seen for quite a while. Um, and I think, like, I don't want to put a downer on it, but I, I think it should be said that QPR were absolutely rotten on the afternoon. They, they were really bad, and Town really got their game plan right and and capitalised on it because Town sat back a little bit. They were sort of a, a little bit more passive on the ball, but they, they would pick in the right opportunities and they had the right men stepping out of midfield or out of defence at the right times. And yeah, I just thought it was a very functional, fine, broadly fine away victory, wasn't it? it it's, mm. it's something we've not really seen from Town and those sort of broadly functional victories are what makes a good season, really, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they had 34% possession. I would be amazed if they've had less than that in any game this, this mm. season. Um and they and yet they had about three, four times as many chances as, as QPR. They did a really good job keeping them at arm's length. And you're right to say QPR were, were really poor in attack. Um, it was an off day for them because they they had sort of done the they've sort of had the opposite season to town. They were quite poor in the first half of the season, and then they've come good in the second half. And I think that was a bit of a throwback to them to what they were doing in the first half of the season. I don't think I've seen Charlie Austin have quite such a quiet game for a long time. Uh, he, he barely did anything. Um, Chris Willock was kept quiet. Ilias Chair even was sort of obviously trying to work hard and try and create something, but there was just no movement ahead of him. And I think Town did, a, did to QPR what other teams have done to Town this year when you think about mm. how Millwall played at the John Smiths, yep. how, how Stoke played with 10 men, uh, and a little bit Derby away, which was a similar kind of, of thing where Town had all of the ball, all the territory, um, but Derby had all the best chances and you know never looked like they were under any particular threat and it's it's as you say it's actually quite satisfying to see town 
get a result mm. that way because we we just haven't seen that from them this season really. Yeah, and I think you need the the run town are on and the, the we've talked about the squad in the first 11 to death and the injuries or everything else you need if you're going to play that way you need things to go your way so when you do take those opportunities to step out or try and create something you you need things to go your way and they absolutely did i thought QPR's back three I didn't think were great on the day at all um, and it's nice to see Town sort of spot some weaknesses and, and go for it because um, I think that's what has been lacking for me really and I think this more pragmatic approach that we we talked in some length about on the last podcast, I think the performance against QPR was more evidence that, that Corbran is, is learning that it's horses for courses. There are different ways to beat different teams. And I think that's a very positive thing. It's not, you know, nobody can turn around and say, oh, he's had to compromise this beautiful flowing football. You have to compromise in the championship. The championship is all about compromise. There's only one team who's ever got out of it by just playing one way, and that was Leeds last season. And that was because they had half a Premier League squad has been proved and a and a manager who, who carries himself a certain way. 99.9% of successful championships teams are ones that compromise and change formations and set up differently for different opponents so it's good to see that it's good to see that that um, sort of upward path in terms of of adaptability and flexibility but you also need players who play well and Town had a couple of of difference makers I felt as well which I think we should probably highlight we should yeah I'll I'll need throw a couple of names out in a moment but I think you're absolutely right it's it's playing different ways against different opponents and they Cardiff we praised them to high heaven last week for the work they did in the air you know to match Cardiff in that game was was a huge huge effort they they took a slightly different approach against QPR QPR obviously a very ground-based team um Mark Warburton likes to get the ball on the floor we we know that from when he was manager at Brentford a few years ago and it was a different kind of challenge and that they picked different personnel Yoya Snogo went to the bench Isaac and Benza came in and and the idea behind that was to was that they would press from the front it was quite apparent right from minute one that they were going to you know keep four men up the field and that was O'Brien, Bakuna and Benzer and Campbell and, and press the defence and not they didn't actually make a huge number of tackles. It it wasn't a tackling press, it was a cut off the channels type press. And mm. I think that's that's why they ended up keeping QPR at, at, at bay because they just couldn't although they had loads of possession and territory, they they were forced into really harmless areas because town were cutting off the channels so well and I think that's that goes sort of from, from front to back. I think sort of Every player deserves some credit for that. Corbran also deserves a bit of credit because he realised that QPR were getting a bit of control on the game towards the end of the first half and he changed it up a bit. He he, he said after the game he felt that Mbenz was having to drop into mid, sort of defensive midfield too much to, to, to do his defensive work. So he thought, well, why not just bring on a midfielder to do that job? Um, and hence he brought on Dwayne Holmes, who I didn't think Holmes as an individual had a particularly brilliant game, but I think what he brought to the side sort of tactically and and the, sh- the the change of shape that that made helped get the most out of other players also we're saying I think Aaron Rowe was struggling a bit towards the end of that first half and the beginning of the second half I thought D'Amico Dehaney came on and and had quite a, a positive appearance from the bench actually he, he helped shut shut up shop and and helped them on the way to that clean sheet 
So he's sort of one of the, the first names I'd throw out there just as a sort of an unexpected one. But I think sort of your headline players um, from this game and the fans voted Jonathan Hogg man of the match. What did you think of, of Hogg, Dave? I, I thought he was OK. I, I didn't think, I mean, I, I've said repeatedly, I think he's player of the season by a mile. I, I didn't think he was brilliant. I thought that the back three... I thought all did very, very well. I thought Edmunds Green got caught a couple of times, but it's back to that physicality thing. I thought Saar was good and he stepped out of defence for the goal and played it to O'Brien. Um, and a lot of people seem to think he was he was the, the best of the three. But for me, I me thought included. Richard Keogh. <laughs> well, I thought Richard Keogh was... was better I thought you know he I thought what was different about Keogh was the way he picked his moments to step out of defence with the ball so he had the run first half where it ended in Pakuna's shot over the bar where he just picked his path to to basically not far outside the penalty area he had the header as well from the corner that went just wide but I think he used the ball much better than I've I've seen him this last couple of games from Keogh I think he's been really really good and it's He's lost... When he first came into the club and was first playing, I think he got infected by the general aura of panic that everybody in that defence had. And he seems to have lost that, and he seems to have realised he is the most experienced defender. And he's very, very vocal, which is good. And I think I think if you're going to talk about Saar's improvement, I think you have to talk about his improvement in terms of Keogh's improvement, because Saar is a player who needs other players to play well round him and that gets the best from him and I think we're still not totally convinced that Keogh was a brilliant signing but there's no denying that he's another one who is on an upward trend in his last couple of games he's been really good. I, I think I'd, I would go further than you on one thing and and step back from you on another which is yeah I think you and I both sat here and said we didn't think it was a good signing I think in fairness Keogh has as done the job they they wanted him to do he, he filled in basically they had you know that Ramani I think everyone was sort of quizzing it at the time because it was because Ramani Edmonds Green had been in the starting lineup and it's like well why can't you keep playing him but it's it was apparent straight after Kia arrived that that Ramani had been playing through pain and playing through an injury basically um so that's why they needed the extra player just to basically get get town through it um until Richard Stearman or Andor Romani were back. And now they're both back, I think I would find it obviously I like the back three I like Romani on the right of that um, but I would find it difficult at the moment to make an argument for putting Richard Stearman in ahead of mm. Richard Keogh which is you know I'm quite a fan of Richard Stearman so that's quite a testament to how well Keogh has played over the last few games and when you look at sort of their, their stats you, you compare the two Richards um, they're um, or yeah I yeah no you're better um, than that when you size them up against each other, um, their, their stats are, are quite similar, particularly sort of aerially. Um, but, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers here. Richard Keogh sort of led the way for interceptions. He made two. Uh, only Lewis O'Brien made two. He made six clearances. And Saar made 12. But then, you know, Saar is, is on the sides of the, the, the defence. So you'd expect him to maybe make a few And also mess. he had chair on his side, who is QPR's, absolutely QPR's main man. And he's the one they look to channel everything through. Yeah, so you just want to get it away. Mm. And... Uh, 
and yeah, and in aerials one, Saab, Saab one six, Dikio's three. I think I would still, I think Saab was, he he and O'Brien were sort of neck and neck for man of the match against both Cardiff and QPR for me. Um, and I think if you made me pick, I would probably go with Saab. Um, for this game and O'Brien for the for the Cardiff game, but yeah, I mean, I would. I'm, I'm not going to die on this hill. I, I I agree that Keo had a had a, a really positive game. Um, yeah, I'm glad you said that about Hogg as well because I I saw he won the fan man of the match and he's a cute, clearly a, a hugely important player. And I thought he had a good game. You know, the, the mark I gave him, I gave him a six, which is not a bad mark. That is a you know good did did the job mark. Um, but yeah, I I didn't quite see the the, no. the love. But I think obviously well, he, he got just it. He got it because he's Jonathan Hogg, and that's absolutely yeah. fair enough and fine. Yeah, but I thought Lewis O'Brien had a, another excellent game. Um, he, he's he sort of he started almost as a number ten in the press. It was almost mm. sort of a three four one two to begin with, and I think he when they made that change after half time, Bakuna sort of became sort of a quasi winger number ten. He was sort of shifting between the two, and and Holmes went to the other side, and O'Brien dropped a bit deeper, um, and. I mean, you you made the comment about why O'Brien is is doing so well in in this new system and why his form has improved. Yeah, because I, if you if you get Lewis O'Brien facing the opposition goal instead of looking back to his, it just makes a massive difference. Because what Lewis O'Brien about is about energy and effort and getting into space and bursting past people and trying to release people forward. And he spent the problem is in the sort of the high passing era. <laughs> of this season because this season already feels like there's been about four eras <laughs> is he spends half his time with his his back to the opposition goal because it's about recycling the ball and keeping hold of it and only using it at the right times and Lewis O'Brien wants to be going forward that's that's what he does and I just think in the last couple of games well the last few games to be fair there has been a definite move to release him to do that and to say whether it was Hog or Vallejo whether to say no your your role is to look forward we don't want you looking mm-hmm. back and you can see the difference in him yeah I think having the the, the extra players behind him is, is key because him and, and Bakuna are, are almost playing as number 10s at time times in this 3-5-2 you know they're pushing so high up um, behind that that back to but I also wonder slightly and I wrote this in the conclusions as well we we and I think we might have talked about it on the podcast that they well we definitely did that they sort of got into the habit of playing on the left whether it was appropriate or not when when Harry Toffolo was in the side and they had that they and you can understand why because they had so much joy last season playing with um with Toffolo and O'Brien and and then and Grant and then this season Grant was obviously replaced by by uh, Josh Caroma the first half of the season and they continued to do well up that left side and I th- we sort of wondered when Toffolo got injured whether that might actually be good for Lewis O'Brien because it forces him to mm. go a bit more central again it, it stops him it's I think it's broken his de- tendency to sort of drift wide and play short passes up that left flank which was effective don't get me wrong but when you've not got Toffolo there you need to play a certain way uh, and, and play a different way and I think that different way suits O'Brien better I think he is better going through the middle and, and driving into space in central areas rather than up the wing and I mean some of the passes he's picked out and and the one for the goal that he put through for Pippa he, he got it off Saar and then threaded it through for Pippa who had just switched across to that left side um, and Pippa just pulls it back for Bakuna who absolutely wallops it in from the edge of the box Town have tried that move a hundred times this season and mm. I don't think we've seen one come off for a while uh, 
Pippa had one deflected in, didn't he? Um, but uh, yeah, nice to see that that move finally pay off. That that the, something we talked about, they'd stopped doing, getting to the byline and cutting it back that they had mm. done well in the first half of the season. Yeah, and Bakuna came onto it. I think it was one in. I think it was the Swansea game where the ball got pulled back to Bakuna, and he sort of very lazily tried to chop across the ball and ended up high, wide, and handsome. And this time he'd, he'd sort of learned his lesson from that and just got everything through the ball just tried to hit it as true as he possibly could and the sort of panic that it created in the QPR box I mean the goalkeeper never had a sniff because he couldn't no. see it I think there were six players in front of him so yeah it, it was that was the thing not to sort of back my own point up but again you've got Lewis O'Brien who's looking forward and driving into that space and getting on the pool carrying it forward and playing it out wide to a to, to an available player and that's where you want him that's what you want him doing you you don't want him receiving the ball off defenders and looking to just recycle it and hang on to it you want him taking chances you want him taking risks and it was his ball through to Pippa. They missed a chance in the Cardiff game. His passing range is, is getting back to what it was. And yeah, it's very encouraging. Very, very encouraging. And when you got Bakuna who can take some of the heavy lifting off him in terms of going forward as well, it, it just makes for a much freer Lewis O'Brien, doesn't it? Yeah. I think the midfield in general has looked a lot better the last last couple of games. We, we've sat here and bemoaned sort of every area of the pitch all season, but one of the things that's been constant even even when the attack was good or the defense was good we've been saying that midfield still doesn't look quite right and I think they've they've started getting there over the last couple of games um I thought the movement particularly early on from the midfielders was so much better they were you know they were they were all moving constantly they weren't static as they had been in previous games you know I think it was it was either Preston or Derby or probably both I said they were like they were like statues up there they were so static and I thought the the front two and especially the midfield were were switching around and swapping places much better uh as I say particularly that first sort of 20 minutes or so and they looked so much better for it um and it's nice that they've got options now. You know, the fact that, that we've we've praised Alex Vallejo recently and he's come out of the team and, to be honest, they've not especially missed him um, over the last couple of games or, and, or over, sorry, in, in this game, I should say, um, even though he played well against Cardiff. And, you know, Dwayne Holmes came on and, as I say, I don't think he had the best game individually, but what he sort of offered tactically, I think, made a bit of a difference. You know, it's, it's rare for us this season that we're sitting here and talking about substitutes uh, paying off both sort of tactically and in terms of individual performance, but to be fair, they they did on this occasion. Yeah, I think you look at the makeup of the bench though. You got Joel yeah, Pereira, exactly. who we're not gonna we're not gonna spend time on. But then you got Stearman, you got Jaden Brown, who's had plenty of first team football. You got Demika Dehaney, who's had plenty of first team football. You got Dwayne Holmes, you got Alex Vallejo, you got Yaya Sanogo, you got Danny Ward, and it's only really Scott High who has played. You know, has see, has had some time on the pitch that you're looking at as sort of a pretty inexperienced pick. This is a bench that has had, you know, Jones and various others on it at Trichero various and, times this yeah. season. Yeah, who've just just had barely any football. So, as as the injuries are coming back, the squad does sort of start to take a different shape but they've got a this sort of learning process they're on this learning cycle they've they've got to keep going with it and they've got to stay stay committed to finding ways to beat teams and win games because I think that 
What a manager wants is difficult questions to answer. So you want him to have to spend a few minutes thinking, do I play Alex Vallejo or do I play Jonathan Hogg? Do I play, Do I? you know, I've got Harry Toffolo who's Mr. Indestructible, but Aaron Rowe is doing absolutely brilliant out there. So are there games where I play Aaron Rowe? Do I bring Stearman back in? Too many times this season, the first 11 has been the first 11 by default rather than selection, if we're brutally honest. So it just lifts everybody to have options it keeps everybody on their toes it lifts everybody up and it just it, it just gives everybody an extra sort of five percent in their game and someone like Lewis O'Brien he's he's not only benefiting from the changes that have been made to his game again a bit like Saar it's about the people around him who are playing a bit better it's about people up top suddenly making runs and finding space so he can hit the balls he wants to hit so yeah upward trajectory which is good yeah the, the other thing I picked out about Saar if you've not read my piece about him was just his his form has basically been inversely proportionate to the number of passes you ask him to make um so you look at the number of passes he's making in january uh 86 passes per game on average in January and the, the average player rating that we and the fans gave him was 4.8 that is now down from 86 passes to 58 mm. and uh, he's getting an average rating of, of 7 and if you go sort of month by month throughout the season the two things are, so, are, are quite closely correlated um, yeah. and I think that's that's not a dig at his passing ability I think it's just an acknowledgement of the fact that you know he does have errors in him as a lot of defenders at this level do and if you give him less to do he's less likely to make a mistake the maths on it is is that simple um and you know it's not having a go at Nabi Sar. it's not set and some of the the errors they've made and Corbran has pointed this out and it's worth saying it's not always just Sar. sometimes they've they've just not had the right passing options when they've been trying to play out from the back and so they've picked stupid passes they should never have made you know that we talk about I think a good example of that is that Watford goal um the the back pass to Schofield and Schofield obviously made a mistake but um Corbran was rightly more annoyed afterwards because he, he's he came out in the presser afterwards and said we told them not to pass it back to the keeper and they go and pass it back to the keeper mm-hmm. and I think that kind of thing has been driving him mad all season I think this we talk about it as a more pragmatic style and it's not that they're suddenly you know hoofing long balls every chance they get they are they do still have some of the fundamental things they were doing before a lot of them are sort of still in place but they're just not taking silly chances anymore and and it's almost sort of uh, it's almost frustrating in a way because it's like well, why why weren't you doing this before you know that this is this is such simple stuff but as you, as you said it well one thing is it worked it was working for them in the first half of the season so why change it and i guess the other thing is just as we've said before Corbran himself is learning he's a you know he's he's been a head coach before it's it's not like this is his first job but he's still sort of even taking those spells into account it's still a rel- he's still relatively early in his head coach career yeah. and, and i think that's the biggest factor I, th- yeah. I i really do i think i think at the start of the season i think he was trying to set his stall out as a as a sort of Bielsa acolyte. We play one way, it's all down to the opposition. We will do what we do, etc, etc. But you, the problem is with that, you've got to have such a good squad to pull that off and overcome. Mm. You know, if you've got a squad who get 
completely flummoxed by a low press, you're you're struggling from the off. There, there was always going to be a point where everybody else in the championship got the cheat codes for that. So to see the sort of evolution here, I think is a good thing because Huddersfield Town, even when times are good, are a team who need to be adaptable and flexible. So yeah, as I said, it's it's you can't get carried away with it because I think there are caveats to that performance. I think QPR are a team that a bit, little bit like Swansea that Town I think just feel like they've got their number a little bit. They almost feel comfortable playing against them and they were really really bad QPR but it was so good to see Town as I said A players and away team B be far more sensible with the way they played and knowing when to take their opportunities and move forward and just being defensively solid you know we've said for weeks and weeks through January and February we sat here and we had to talk about the defence every week and another Mm. mistake and another goal and another moment and all this sort of thing so you look over the last three games and there's clear evidence that they're making progress yeah things can only get better (laughs) all right Tony Blair um yeah there's I think there's a lot of truth in that and I think there's a touch of of the do you remember I'm sure you know that Glenn Hoddle thing where on the training ground he'd show the players here's how you do it and he'd whip a 35 yard free kick into the top corner and the players would just look at him and go yeah but boss we can't do that we're not as good as you and I do wonder if there's a a, there's been a bit of that where it's not to sort of big them up too much or anything but where the players might have reached a point where or Corbrand might have reached a point where he's realised oh these aren't the players I had at Leeds they can't they can't do the things they were doing um, and again it's that's not massively big enough leads but the truth is they've they've taken most of that squad and and they've established themselves comfortably in Premier League mid-table so yeah and that's it again it's not about praising leads it's more about the balance of the Huddersfield Town squad you've, yeah. you've got to have the players that can play in the system, you a they've got to be super super fit, and we've seen that. Let's be honest, we've seen a lot of training ground injuries, a lot of players in the red zone this season, a lot of players having to play through various things. I mean, you talked about Edmonds Green just ten minutes ago, but you've also got to have the players who sort of naturally want to play a certain way. And Town have the basis of that, but you've got to have a whole squad because you run them into the red over the course of the season. You've got to be able to take people out and bring somebody, you know, a carbon copy in for a game here and there. And Town just can't do that. I mean, even when they've got the squad sorted over the next couple of transfer windows, it's unlikely they're going to be able to do that. You've got to, you've got to have options you've got to be able to play a different way yeah I think it becomes a vicious cycle as well because if you get a couple of injuries then other players then have to play more minutes than they should be doing and then they yeah. get injured and then it, it carries on from there so yeah it's it's difficult and you know I'm not going to talk about the, the selections and the, the lack of rotation in December again because I think we've sort of made that point plenty of times but I yeah I do think I do I do think hopefully Corbran has learnt a bit from that and and maybe would take a different approach I mean the, the next season hopefully is not going to be anything like as compressed as this season has been um, no. which, which is a factor as well to be fair but yeah I mean I, I and I think the the playing a certain way thing I think is 
as I say, was all well and good in the first half of the season when when things were sort of results were, were generally on the right track. And I think crucially, you look at the players that are injured and it's, you know, it's players that were so crucial to that system. You know, Harry Toffolo, Carolite in Josh Caroma. Uh, and then the two of the wingers they signed in January to try and, and I know uh, Danny Grant, they sort of was a bit more of a long-term signing, but I think there was some expectation he might at least feature a bit off the bench. Um, him and Rolando Aarons have been out. So... Um, and not not to mention Chris Schindler. So, yeah, the the it's not. I think it's not just the injuries. I think it's specifically who those injuries have been um, has has hurt them a bit. And that's not to get them off the hook and say, ah, well, it's all about injuries. And now you know, now they're going to be fine because I think they they played worse than they should have done, even even taking those injuries into account. But yeah, they they finally found a way and they've adapted. And I think the the sort of the worry, my worry after Cardiff was. Is this going to be a fluke? Is this going to be the big performance they put in and then they regress again, like we'd seen previously against Bristol and like we'd seen about after Swansea? Um, and and we talked about that last week. And this was a bit of reassurance that, all right, they don't have a load of goals in them. They've still only scored two in their last five games. But if they're keeping clean sheets, then they're going to pick up points. Mm, that's exactly it. And I think it's probably worth moving on a little bit to talk about the rest of the season, isn't it? And Definitely. We come at this from a slide different point of view but for me I know it's obviously mathematically possible but for me relegation is is done I think it's a poor league I talked about 40 to 45 points being enough anyway town have got to 41 to to put it in perspective there would have to be a I think it's well it's a four game swing for Rotherham to get above town from where they are and I just it's just not going to happen particularly with town playing Rotherham um on my birthday actually I'll be working that game on my birthday the and you're, <laughs> and you're saying this even taking Rotherham's four game swing into account aren't you because we uh, four yeah, games beca- in hand I should say they're, they're four games because a they won't win all of those games in hand football doesn't work like that and b they are going to have to play three times a week for about six weeks at this rate and that that is going to take it out of them they've not got a massively expansive squad they've not got loads and loads of players so it's just not going to happen I think Sheffield Wednesday are nailed on at this point I just I know they've got the new manager but they've just got that some clubs you feel like they've got an anchor tied around them and Sheffield Wednesday just feel like they're on a downward path and and are not going to get out of it and it honestly feels like it might be the best thing for them anyway to try and have a reset at that football club over the summer Wickham are are doomed Wickham are done so I don't think there's any relegation worry there anymore I know it's you know mathematics etc etc but I think from here town really need to to use this as a platform to push on now they're unbeaten in three five points from three very good away win and they've got a couple of quite sort of agreeable fixtures coming up. I think it's time to kick on. It's time to push on now. You, you're still not there, are you? No, we we talked about this before the mics went on, and I'm I'm just nowhere near as as confident as you yet. I think I think we did agree if they beat Rotherham in a few weeks, then that probably is it done. Actually, I would I would probably agree with that. Um, so it's possible that, assuming they get sort of you know one or two draws here and there as well, that I think that would probably do it. But I don't know. I mean, I think the the bigger thing, obviously, this week 
weekend. Obviously, Rotherham didn't play because they've, and they haven't played the last three games. They've had postponements because they've had a, a COVID outbreak. Um, but Birmingham losing means that regardless of what Rotherham do, mm-hmm. even if they were to win all those games in hand, Town have got at least a six-point gap now, um, yeah. which is which is very encouraging. Um, Birmingham have just sat their manager, um, and as we record this, they've they've not yet appointed the, the new man although just before we come on air it's looking like um, Lee Bowie has left Charlton uh, and he's obviously ex-Birmingham so that is uh, that he would he be would... absolutely mad to take that job in my opinion but <laughs> there you go I mean it's it's just going from one fire to another it's not even out the front yeah. and into the fire is it it's just no um, yeah he's Lucky obviously got life. the connection there he doesn't always make the best life choices though does he Lee Bowie <laughs> we'll leave that there and um yeah he's um I don't know I'm I'm still not quite there yet I think they probably I I think they should stay up don't get me wrong um because you know even taking their bad bad run into account they've still had and this is even just going back to the Stoke game uh since when we've had the Luton Wickham Middlesbrough Derby Preston games they've taken a point per game uh even taking those terrible performances into result they've managed a point a game and that would see them um more you know that would take them to 51 I think they're going to get more than that um because they've had you know if you look at the last six they've taken eight points which is is all right actually that sort of reasonable mid-table form and I think we've seen more encouragingly I think we've seen over the last three games and I know Birmingham the draw against Birmingham was a bit of a frustrating result for some people but our view on that was very much well at least they did something different and I think we've seen from the Cardiff and QPR games and from what we talked about earlier that that was a good point for them in that it you know set them on on the course to this and and helped them get get their eye in for this new playing style obviously they're playing Sheffield Wednesday on Wednesday um and that is I think we can probably downgrade it for and I said this on the preview show as well so sorry you've listened to Andy takes that chance as well but I think we can always downgrade it from a must win to a just a must not lose at this point um I don't know if many fans would go along with that, but I think that's probably the truth of it. A draw would probably be, I think, beating QPR probably bought them the right to get a a, a point against Hillsborough and, uh, at Hillsborough and call it a good point. But yeah, I, I still think they're not quite there yet. I'm not. I'm not making plans for my away trips for next season just yet. Well, here's here's the thing, right? The next game against Wednesday, lot of rivalry. Town don't have a. A brilliant record against Wednesday, it would be fair to say. But you play the game as it is. Town are unbeaten in three. They've just had a very good away win. Sheffield Wednesday have lost their last five. And they're second bottom of the it's table. Even, I think it's eight, in fact. I, I think you play them for what you are. You you get you do what you know you're good at. And mm. Town can win that game quite easily. They've got Brentford at home the, the next game after that. I think I'm not saying you write any game off. I think that was we were highly critical of Corbyn for writing off Bournemouth away earlier in the season, and Bournemouth have proved themselves to be so fallible. I don't look that think that looks a great decision in retrospect either. Um, so yeah, I I think you just at this point you have a platform and you have it would it would be extraordinary for Town to go down from here. I mean, I the other fly in the ointment is Rotherham haven't even got a manager for two weeks because Paul Warren's having to isolate from today. So I, I just it it would be remarkable. It would it would be fairly remarkable, I think, for Birmingham to go down. But I think Birmingham, I've been talking about Birmingham going down since before Christmas because I think they're they really are bad. But there's no one in this league apart from you would argue Norwich 
and Watford, who Town have played twice, who really feel completely unbeatable. So why not, now you've got a bit of a buffer, and try and push on? And I would even say it's 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 in another couple of games' time, I wouldn't say right this moment, because Town are doing something that works, and you don't want to destroy that confidence. But in a couple of games' time, it's probably time to start looking at that attacking football and that passing football again and maybe not being quite so pragmatic and if you can finish the season on a high it just gives everybody such a boost for the summer it makes recruitment easier it, it's it just it helps in every conceivable way and I think that that realistically I think that moment's here I get being sort of cautious but if they beat Wednesday I think you have to accept that they're they're pretty much home and hosed yeah the the reason I'm sort of being cautious is I'm I can see a world where they even if they get a draw against Sheffield Wednesday and then they lose to Brentford and Norwich and some other results go the other way you know rather than win a couple of games Birmingham win a couple of games and suddenly the gap comes down to comes back down to two points again and then fans are panicking again and I still I agree that looking at the fixtures town have more than enough I I think they will be safe I wouldn't bet on them going down at this point um but um I I think one win and one draw and I think it's a mathematical certainty and if they beat Wednesday they need one point really to to fulfill my criteria I just I just think it's done I think it's done so I think it's time to you can't switch off mentally and as I said I wouldn't just sort of rip everything up now when it's working and just go back to what you're trying to do but the stated aim for Carlos Corbran was he wanted to play a certain way and he wanted town to be attractive and play a different way through midfield he's got a couple of waves of players coming back as well I just think capitalise on this upward trajectory lean into it be bold yeah I I agree I'm just I don't know I'm just I've had my fingers burnt (laughs) a little bit because they had two points make games at the start of the year and I think they they've shown that they're they're not fluking their way to points at the moment and I think this is a good run they're putting together and I'd expect that to continue but as I say I can just I can imagine a world where things don't go their way against Sheffield Wednesday and then they lose to Brentford and Norwich and then suddenly it's panic again um so I'm just sort of mentally preparing myself for that as much as anything else but I I yeah I still think they're going to stay up to be fair um Sheffield Wednesday though I mean we've we've touched on that they are really in a lot of trouble at the moment um you know they're on 28 points from 35 games uh that's a game in hand over Birmingham but you know that they're they're seven points adrift from safety at the moment Darren Moore has not had the impact they would have hoped they've continued losing under him um and even that game against Norwich they were ahead and then then ended up losing so that's almost worse than if you'd just gone and, and lost a scrappy 1-0 uh, as as we know ourselves at town it's there's nothing worse than losing from a winning position what are you expecting from them Dave in this game I, as I said I've already said it I think you play them for what you are which is a town uh, a side that are down on their haunches they keep losing games they've got a, a, it's a losing mentality in that club the thing about the thing that Darren Moore is going into reminds me a lot of the situation Jan Siebert was going into where it's almost done and dusted what you're trying to do is change the mentality so that over summer you can get some proper work in and some proper hours in and you can try and start 
in your new league on the front foot. Now we know with Jan that didn't happen, but that was because I just think there was there was a lot of Premier League PTSD in that town squad. And Dean Hoyle talked about on the the podcast he's just done. He was open about it and said, you know, there are a few players in there who still believe they were Premier League players. I don't think that's the same at Sheffield Wednesday. I think they know the club needs a reset. So I think I think town should just go there and and basically not change anything. Uh, the the exact performance they put in against QPR will beat Sheffield Wednesday in mm. my humble opinion. There we go. Would you go with Sonogo up top or would you stick Yeah, with... I would. Yeah. 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 I think I would. I would as well. I, I think the 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 thing about Wednesday is they've got a couple of quite big defenders. I think Snogo gives you a different a different option, and certainly for an hour, get him just to bully a couple of them. And I know Fraser Campbell is very very good at at what he does, but his way of bullying them is is very very different, and usually ends up well, definitely ends up in him getting an early yellow card half the time. <laughs> Um, so I would I'd keep the three five two because it's working. I'd keep O'Brien facing goal. I'd start with Sonogo, I think, and yeah, I I just just get after them, you know, just just be sensible again, be intelligent, take pick the right passes in the right moments, and and Wednesday are there for the beating. They really are. Yeah, I think almost the the approach they took against Cardiff is probably going to get the job mm. done more than the one they did against QPR. I'd agree with that. You 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 advocated for keeping putting Vallejo back in ahead of Hogg, didn't? What what was you thinking behind that? I I think I think the one thing you you can afford to do against Wednesday is you can sit a little deeper and not expose yourself. Wednesday are they don't score goals. You know they've they've scored one more goal than Wickham this season. So I think you can sit a little deeper, just be solid. And use Vallejo to, I mean, I hate the term and it's not an appropriate term, but to just quarterback it a bit and and get people on the front foot and get the ball to Lewis O'Brien in the right areas and get your your wing backs into space with a player who can who can hit that diagonal to them because Hogg is is absolutely brilliant and we've talked to death about all the good points of his game but there are certain aspects of his game that he he can't do and I think he would probably admit that himself at the standard of someone like Vallejo so yeah I I wouldn't mind seeing Vallejo in there at all if I'm honest um and and just town doing exactly the same thing except you're going to have 35 percent possession and just be intelligent about that 35 percent you do have and you could come away from there with a 2-0 victory there's no reason why town can't win that game at all i i actually (laughs) something else we talked about off air is that one of the one of the problems we're both having with town this season is that you can't trust them to win the games they should you can't trust them (laughs) not to lose the games they should lose they just can't be trusted on any level but I actually feel quite bullish about that game because I've done Wednesday a few times this season and they are they're trapped in a in an absolute doom spiral they they really are and I think you've just got to be just be sensible and just pick them off and you'll be absolutely fine magic yeah I think that's about covered everything. So we've got an international break coming up, uh, which with no weekend game this weekend, Town obviously were meant to play Bournemouth, but because they're in FA Cup action, that's been put back to the other side of Easter. Uh, so no game for Town this weekend, even though there is uh, a, a bunch of uh, championship fixtures going on. 
So we'll be back on Monday, I think. I, th- I think we're probably not going to do a Thursday show. I think we'll keep it to Monday because we'll see how the other results unfold and we can have, we can come back to this discussion about the relegation and about where they go from here and maybe have uh, a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a review on the season so far, be a bit reflective. And then I think the week after that, we're going to do a Q&A. We are. So, so yeah, if you, we'll, we'll drop some details on Twitter ahead of time as to how you can get your questions in for that Q&A. So keep your eyes peeled on at examiner htafc speaking of twitter you're at david hartrick aren't you david hartrick sometimes it's none of your (laughs) business to be frank and i'm at stephen chicken as you well know uh dave anything to add before we go just you've got lovely eyes ah thank you cool likewise we'll see you next time guys (laughs) have a nice time goodbye see you there